the technology you're using today, the landscape of the world today will probably be completely different in five years. So we need to be constantly learning, unlearning, relearning. And the only way we can cope with this increased breadth, depth, and pace is to have this kind of flexible learning ecosystem around us to help us get to this constant learning and development that we're going to need. I'm Jeff Cobb. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 267 of the Leading Learning Podcast. This third episode in our seven-part series on the frontiers of learning technology features a conversation with Say Schatz. Say Schatz is the director of the Advanced Distributed Learning Initiative, a government program for science, technology, and policy related to distributed learning. And she's an editor and contributor to the ebook Modernizing Learning, Building the Future Learning Ecosystem, published by the ADL Initiative. Before joining ADL, Say worked in small businesses as an assistant professor and in corporate training. Through it all, her focus has been on learning, technology, and systems. Jeff spoke with Say in March 2021. Now, I'm thinking that most of our listeners will at least be somewhat familiar with ADL uh, because you're the people behind things like SCORM, which I know we'll talk about some here in a minute. So but for those who may not be as familiar or who are a little hazy on it, can you tell us about ADL, the work that it does, and then and about your role there? Sure. ADL, the Advanced Distributed Learning Program, it was created back in the late 90s, you know, back when like Netscape Navigator was the hottest commodity and rotating GIFs were in fashion. The idea back then, of course, was to help encourage the use of this crazy new modality, online learning, across government and society, and in particular defense, because ADL is really a defense program. But we reach across all those other sectors. Now, originally back in the day, a lot of the work focused on what we would call now traditional e-learning, like learning management systems with SCORM. And that's become the de facto form for those interoperable learning management systems for traditional courseware. And you mentioned this already, right? SCORM was one of the major products from the ADL initiative back in the day. We do a lot of other things now too. And for the folks listening, they probably are most interested in our R&D work. So those are different topics like digital learning interoperability, data, emerging platforms, and of course, learning science for all these different modalities. I know, like I said, people are probably familiar with SCORM. For anybody who's not, shareable content object reference model is an acronym there, a set of specifications for, among other things, ensuring portability across e-learning systems. You're also the people behind XAPI. Again, something our listeners have probably heard of, may not be fully versed in, but also CMI5, which I'm personally very interested in, uh, sort of where things stand with that, where we're going could you talk a little bit about those specifications and how they're evolving and how some, maybe how some of these other areas you were just talking about are evolving as well? Oh, I, absolutely. I would love to talk about data interoperability specifications for digital learning. Before we bore everyone, I promise this is actually a really interesting and exciting topic. So as you mentioned, there's XAPI, there's CMI5. We're working on a lot of other interoperability specifications right now, too, like for learning content metadata, learner records, competencies. 
And these are all ways for us to be able to put the building blocks together for the future. And I realized that that was a lot. Like that's a lot of kind of geekiness right there. And I'm delighted to go talk about the weeds of it. But the real punchline is you have been, what well, we all have been talking about all these really cool emerging concepts for years, right? Lifelong learning, Chris Deedy's discussion on 60-year curriculum, ubiquitous learning across all different kinds of platforms, augmented reality, virtual reality, XR, data-driven learning, AI-driven personalization, learning analytics, competency-based learning, and I'm sure you can fill in a bunch of other things here. The question really becomes, how do we take all these amazing puzzle pieces and put them together? And that's really where all of these different interoperability specifications come into play. Think of it sort of like Lego blocks. The reason that Legos work is because you have the exact same little connections in the same sizes in the same places. But the blocks themselves can be all different shapes and formats. And you can build your own little castle however you want it to be. But the art is in the, the way that they're interoperable. And so that's why all these discussions on data standards and APIs and interoperability specs are so important. I love that analogy with Legos. That, that's so right on. I think people will get that and how all these things fit together. And interoperability, obviously, is just going to be so hugely important. It already is important. But I mean, as we get more and more complex with how systems are, are fitting together going forward for things to be able to, to talk e to each other and, and share data is so important. And now you and I are talking here as part of a podcast series we're doing on the frontiers of learning technology. I've always thought of ADL as kind of being out there on, on the frontiers of, of learning technology, which is one of the reasons we, we called you up and, and hoped you would, uh, would talk to us here. But when you think about that phrase, that phrase, frontiers of learning technology, what comes to mind for you? We are very focused right now on building out what I like to call the future learning ecosystem. Now, admittedly, that's a bit of jargon. So what I really mean is the K to gray, technology-enabled, data-driven, heterogeneous system of systems, which is a big mouthful. But just imagine a technology-enabled, lifelong continuum of learning that's driven by data and that's personalized to you, that has good quality learning science. We really are able to train, educate, have informal learning, have employment, all informing our lifelong journeys. That's the vision. And it might sound like sci-fi, but I really think we can get there. We actually wrote a book about this recently, and it's available on our website. Oh, and I should mention, by the way, that you know, as a government program, almost everything we produce is open source, Creative Commons, and this book too. It's available for everybody to read and share and reuse. The book is called Modernizing Learning, and it talks about this roadmap to get to this future learning ecosystem idea. It talks about the technology, the data, the data issues like privacy and security, the learning science that needs to go with it, and the organizational dynamics. The vision that you're laying out in that book, and of course, just with your work in general, is just so compelling. I like that you brought up, you said it was maybe a little bit jargony, buzzy, the, the ecosystem word, but we do hear that more and more about building out the ecosystem that's really going to support where we're headed in the future with learning. 
I'd love to dig into it a bit more. If you're going to build the ecosystem, if you're going to build, and I know you'll talk about this phrase a little bit, total learning architecture, what are the steps? How do we actually make progress towards building out this future of learning, reaching this you know frontier of, of learning technology that we're, we're all heading towards? That's a great question because we're never going to get there all at once. It has to be a journey. And the great thing about this is you can take one step along that path and have benefit. You don't have to get all the way to the end and have this very complex system to realize the benefits of this. And I would say that the first step along the path is simply data interoperability. Or the way I usually like to say it is, imagine all the learning islands that are out there right now. Right. You have a course over here. You have an e-learning over there. You have some micro learning over here. You have a training event over there. And today, generally speaking, they're pretty siloed. The one particular course, let's say some e-learning course that you're doing, it doesn't know who you are when you go into it. It didn't know the 15 other courses that you took beforehand or the videos you watched on YouTube or the micro learning or the mentorship. And after you leave that course, Generally speaking, you're going to get a certificate, but the data gets thrown away. And so we don't have a way to have that relay race where we're passing the baton of data, of information about the learner from place to place to place. So instead of having these learning islands, we want to connect them up. We want to get to that modular open systems architecture, that interoperability. Once we have the interoperability, and we're going to get to this in a second with the total learning architecture, because that's the how. But just understand the concept first, right? Building our learning islands together. But once we've connected that trade route across our learning islands, let's say, then how do I make sure that the apples that I'm selling on my learning island are commiserate with the oranges that you're selling on yours? In other words, how do we have that semantic interoperability or that common currency across the different islands? This is where competency-based learning comes into play. If we are using competency-based learning, and I'm sure everybody is already familiar with, there's so many benefits to using competency-based learning just by itself. But data interoperability is another one because then we can make sure that we're all working off of that same common list, that same common definitional list and machine-readable list of what these different knowledge, skills, abilities, job requirements are. And by doing that, we create that common currency across islands. Finally, the third step I would recommend to everyone is we need to upskill our learning professionals. And I don't say that because there's something wrong with the way that teachers or instructional designers or trainers are performing today, but rather we're in a whole new world, right? We're not living on our own little island anymore, but instead we have this whole you know, world we need to navigate. We need to have learning engineers, people who understand technology, learning data, learning analytics, learning science for learning at scale, lifelong learning, and all of these other capabilities so that we are really using our tool set to the best effect. It's such an interesting point that to, to be a, a learning professional these days, somebody who's you know involved in creating, facilitating, delivering learning experiences... I mean, it's a whole new game. It's nothing like it was, you know, 20 years ago, even five years ago. I mean, it's changed a lot. I like that you brought up competency-based learning and you're right. That's something that certainly folks who are listening here are probably well tuned into. 
It's funny. I mean, it's it's kind of an obvious point once you realize it, but it wasn't until I was doing some work recently where we were looking at personalization, competency, that it started to click with me how important the data structure underlying that is and how competency can help inform personalization and vice versa. And I know that feeds into, because I picked it up, I think, from really reading about what you're doing with total learning architecture and how that all fits together. Can can you talk now a little bit more about that TLA, that total learning architecture concept? Absolutely. Uh, this is one of my favorite topics because it's all about this data interoperability, this baseline enabling infrastructure to make this big vision work. Specifically, the total learning architecture is a set of specifications and standards. So we're talking about IT and data standards for learning technologies. And this is all open, standards-based, common things that everybody can implement within their systems. It's the blueprint, so to speak, on where those little circles and the Lego blocks go. At a very basic level, the total learning architecture incorporates four data standards. So standards on how you get runtime data out of a system, right? So that what's that performance that's coming out of your learning management system or your simulator or your electronic gradebook? You know, ideally, we want to have very good quality, very granular data so we can learn a lot about each person. That's where the XAPI or Experience Application Programming Interface specification comes in. Second, we need some way to know what is the thing that that learner or that employee is doing, right? So what's what's the course or what's the video or what's the simulation that he or she is going through? And so that's where we get that course metadata. And I keep saying course, but really I mean any kind of learning experience can even be on the job, right? So some way to define what that thing is that they are doing. Next, we need something that describes the person themselves. Now, I'm going to say learner because I'm very interested in training and education, but really this could be a learner, worker, military record. It could be a personnel record. It could be an individual capability record. What we're really talking about is some way to define somebody's education, experience, and employment history, you know, kind of the three E's of their life. What are their capabilities? And then third, or and then finally, this is fourth, I can count. The fourth thing on the list here is that we need those competencies again, right? So we need that common currency, that Rosetta Stone across the other pillars. And that sounds pretty simple, right? These are four data pillars. We describe them. We make sure our systems are integrated with them. But then as you start to think about, okay, well, how do I connect these hundreds of systems, maybe owned by different vendors, different companies? How do I make sure the data is flowing across them? How do I make sure that security and privacy are maintained? How do I abstract up information? Because, you know, the data that you need in a course or in a particular experience is very different than the data that you might need, you know, as a senior leader in an organization or longitudinally, then it starts to become complicated as you define these business rules and these policies and the interface specifications, you know, how everything works together. And that's what the TLA is really meant to do. So at the end of the day, it's this blueprint of IT and data specifications for learning technologies to build out this ecosystem. And then also it's the reference implementation, the prototype or the model home, so to speak, that we're working on currently to make sure everything works correctly, to test things out, and to make sure that we're getting all those business rules correct. I came across your work on TLA recently, you know, when I was doing research, I was 
thrilled, though not surprised, to find that ADL is working on this because it certainly fits with what I would expect from your organization. My immediate reaction was, this is fantastic. You know, what this is promising is is just what we need. It's going to connect all the dots. But at the same time, I was like, well, wow, you know, how, how, do we, how do we actually do this? Sounds great. It looks great on paper. You provide some great resources for it. But how do you actually get started? How, how do you really start making movement towards total learning architecture? I think this is great because it, I mean, it is right. This is, this is a lot. And there's so many things right now in the learning and development space. It's really exciting. And we need to make sure that we're on a path that is going to be achievable. We can't implement everything all at once. So we've actually produced, and and people can find it, I'm sure you can link it in the show notes. We've actually produced a system administrator guide that lays out specific steps for your techies out there to start to implement. But the short answer is, number one, start with getting good runtime data out of your training or education or other kinds of learning and development systems. We need to do a good job of measuring what the individuals are doing, what they're learning, what their performance looks like. Now, we're using XAPI for that because it puts things into that interoperable format then. Once that you get that data into your learning record store, then the next step is that you want to start connecting other different training and education opportunities together. So let's say you have, you know, your learning management system, you have maybe a mobile learning app on, you know, like micro learning on your smartphone, and maybe you have some videos. What you want to do is start to connect those up, all the data that you're getting into those possibly separate learning record stores, federate them together so you're getting rich data across your own learning islands. And then also you want to start making sure that you're implementing the metadata that describes what those different experiences are. We're currently working with the IEEE Learning Technology Standards Committee on the P2881 learning activity metadata. So it's a standard for defining that metadata. Now, there's already some standards out there, but this is kind of an updated version of that. And you can do this within your own system, right? Eventually, we want all of our learning islands connected across, you know, everybody across different organizational boundaries. But step one is just getting your own data in these formats and starting to manage it across your own internal silos. If you're looking for options for your learning ecosystem, check out our sponsor for this series. BenchPrep is a pioneer in the modern learning space. We have been digitally transforming professional learning for credentialing bodies, associations, corporations, and training companies for over a decade. With an award-winning learner-centric cloud-based platform, BenchPrep enables learning organizations to deliver the best digital experience to drive learning outcomes and increase revenue. The platform's omni-channel delivery incorporates personalized learning pathways, robust instructional design principles, gamification, and real-time analytics that allow organizations across all industries to achieve their goals. More than 6 million learners have used BenchPrep's platform to attain academic and professional success. BenchPrep publishes regular content sharing the latest in the e-learning trends. To download our latest e-books, case studies, white papers, and more, please go to www.benchprep.com resources. We're truly grateful to BenchPrep for helping make this series possible, and we encourage you to find out more at benchprep.com slash resources. Now, back to the conversation with Jeff and Seishatz. 
what trend or, or trends in uh, in learn tech do you think have the most potential for really significant positive impact in, let's say, the next three years or, or so, the relatively near future? So I'm going to cheat a little on this question because my answer is that it's not as much the technology. I mean, there are so many cool technologies out there right now. And you know that I want to talk about data and emerging tech. But honestly, at the end of the day, I think it's really about using the systems that we have to best effect. I am a big fan of Ruben Pontadera's SAMR model. And I don't know if you've heard of the SAMR model before, but um, it's the substitution, augmentation, modification, and redefinition model. And basically it says, look, when we get some new learning technology out there, the first thing everybody does is just replace the old way of learning with this new technology. Take ebooks, for example. Okay, great. I have a digital ebook now, right? So I've taken my paper textbook and I've turned it into a PDF. Ta da! And it's just kind of a substitution. As a next step, maybe we get to a place where, like, oh, look, we can highlight and we can search, but it's still, you know, just a basic augmentation of the old school way of doing things. A lot of times we get a new technology and we're very excited about it, but we stop right there. And we're not getting the bang for the buck. And in fact, usually it's more expensive than the old way of doing things. And we're just basically replacing the old way. But we need to push ourselves. If we get up into modification, we start to think about new ways of accomplishing a task. So if we go back to the ebook example, what if you don't just have, you know, something you could search for and bookmark, but you actually have interactive videos and quizzes that you can share across your course and you have learning analytics embedded into the ebook and maybe it even adapts to the individual's, I don't know, reading level or their role within a company. Then you start to really get some value. And Maybe we can even get to that redefinition phase where we're truly like rethinking the whole way we do things. Like maybe instead of an interactive textbook, we've actually developed a um, maintenance manual that's connected to all the people who do maintenance on a particular uh, you know, type of aircraft or something. And when you go look things up, you can actually see your peers and leave notes. And, you know, it's changed the nature of learning for that particular task. So I would say that's the challenge. Let's figure out how to really creatively, using good quality evidence-based learning science, make best use of what we have. Well, I love it when there's any sort of model or, or framework that really helps us just think more strategically about where we're going with the technologies. And that, that's certainly a great one for doing that. And we'll make sure we, we definitely spell that out and link to any resources around the, the SAMR model in the show notes. We do want to encourage folks to, to be thinking strategically about this, not just uh, technology for the sake of technology. That's the relatively short term we were just talking about, though I think obviously the model applies over the longer term. We should al always be thinking in a strategic way about technology. But given the opportunity, which I'm going to give you right now, to put on your futurist hat, punch your card into the Star Trek holodeck, however you want to think about it, when you look out into the more distant future and uh, just sort of imagine what's possible out there, what do you see? Oh, man, like I, I see so much as possible. And I don't even think it's going to be that distant of a future. I, I really think we're going to see this certainly in our lifetimes. I think the best model that I can envision from like pop culture would be the Enders game sort of continuum of learning, although hopefully less creepy. So what does that mean? Okay, so we got this learning ecosystem again. I mean that you have this childhood through lifelong learning continuum that is technology enabled 
So you have all these different technologies, right? So you have computers, you have augmented reality, you have virtual reality, you have mixed reality, you have simulators, you have all different platforms that we can envision, right? And they're all collecting data about what your performance is, what you're experiencing, ideally in a way that's not unethical. So some way that we have self-sovereignty of the data, some way that we have trust and management and privacy of those data, but in a way that we're able to then create those individual profiles so that we can truly personalize learning and development and maybe even things like career trajectories or other kinds of opportunities based upon your personal profile. And where we're integrating, and I said this earlier, right, education and employment, but also other kinds of experiences. So if you're a parent, or if you've climbed a mountain, or if you spent a year touring Europe, these are experiences that shape you as a person, and that may get to some of those what we sometimes call those soft skills or those very important competencies that are hard to measure. So again, that competency-based learning comes into play, right? Where you have these personal profiles and we're able to truly see what you can do and also you can see what you can do, right? And you have that opportunity to plan out. We're able to leverage AI teams where we have AI, yes, maybe doing like personalization, but also we have human and AI working together, helping you complete your tasks. And we are using all of this capability to make sure that we have truly effective learning, not in a linear sense, where you've spent an hour here at this course, or you know, you spent four years getting this degree, so you are qualified, but rather truly based upon your performance and truly based upon where you need to go in that nonlinear journey. I can also imagine this is all tied into the workforce. So it's not just about, hey, learning and development is over here. And then separately, after we're done with that, we go back to our jobs and we have, you know, workforce over here, but rather it's this integrated system. And we're able to connect who are the people with capabilities. They're able to then go perform these different jobs, and we can do that better matchmaking, that better matchmaking that helps us solve underemployment and underemployment while at the same time fitting the places where we have job gaps. Ideally, we would have this as a meritocracy, right? Really helping to elevate people and give them a clear pathway forward. So I imagine the system all driven by data where individuals and organizations, and I guess maybe even society, can really leverage this quality of data about individuals to do learning, development, employment, and hopefully uh, this kind of lifelong planning. Now, (laughs) I realize that that is, you know, that's a big picture. That's a lot of things. And there's a lot we will need to do to be able to get there in practice. But I could imagine this talent ecosystem of the future someday. And now I know I'm kind of an idealist when I, when I come at technology, what's possible with learning. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that you might be as well. So I'm always thinking, okay, what's the greater good that comes out of this? So, you know, we're better able to develop talent. You mentioned the idea of, you know, elevating people that, that certainly sounds like a good to come out of it. But when you think about, you know, if, if we kind of get it right when it comes to technology and what we can do with learning technology, what is some of the greater good that comes out of that? How might we expect the world to improve, I guess, as, as a result of that? And are there things that need to happen or that we need to be doing now to make sure that we do, in fact, get it right? That's a great question. So 
a lot of times when I'm asked, okay, well, why should we do this, right? What's the benefit we're going to get? My first response is, well, we don't really have an option to wait. If you look at the way that the world is around us today, every single individual is being asked to do a broader range of things and typically at higher levels of sophistication. You know, so an individual doesn't just have to do one particular task. They have to do that job and they usually also have to have good teamwork skills and they have to have empathy and they need to know the latest technology and they need to have digital and data awareness and, 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 and. While at the same time, we need to have this higher level of sophistication of all of these, right? Again, this is regardless of what role you play, almost everybody is facing this, where it's not just, hey, make sure that you're making good decisions, but you need to think strategically, and you need to have good systems thinking, and you need to make sure that you are coordinating across a distributed team, again, and so on. And at the same time, the pace of change is just constant. The technology you're using today, the landscape of the world today will probably be completely different in five years. So we need to be constantly learning, unlearning, relearning. And the only way we can cope with this increased breadth, depth, and pace is to have this kind of flexible learning ecosystem around us to help us get to this constant learning and development that we're going to need. Now, if that sounded a little too uh, too much of like a platitude, let me bring it down to something that's a bit more ROI for the corporations out there. We need to make sure that we're doing a better job of capitalizing on our talent. You know the old saying, right? What gets measured gets managed. And right now we do a pretty terrible job of measuring our human capital, of measuring what we would call in the military personnel readiness. We can do a much better job if we can better identify what the capabilities of individuals are, where our gaps are, what our jobs or tasks are, and then making sure that we're putting the right person into the right place at the right time, or otherwise giving that person the right development experiences when he or she needs them. So again, it's about leveraging our data about people so that we can have advantage. And then if I can go back to be a little bit Pollyanna again, I'll also say that I do think if we can implement these kinds of systems, if we can get to a place where we truly have an effective talent ecosystem, then that can help us in many ways. We can start to move towards more of a meritocracy for job placement instead of just like propinquity or social advantage. We can start to do a better job of that matchmaking for the people with the jobs And again, this is not just my vision for this. The Chamber of Commerce actually has this huge initiative right now where they're trying to build this nationwide talent pipeline where they're bringing together big businesses and government organizations and really working on, again, those foundational data standards, those Lego block blueprints so that we can make this happen. And so I think that we're on track to build this out. When I think about, you know, the evolution of technology in recent years, you look at something like social media, obviously some very good things happened with social media, but obviously a lot went wrong as well. And, you know, we, we found out in, in recent election cycles, for example, that there's some things there that need to be fixed. In the world of learning technology, I mean, what do we need to be aware of? What happens if we get some of this wrong? 
that's a really important thing for us to be asking right now, because there are some really major pitfalls. And if we're not careful, if we're not thoughtful, then we could cause some damage. The first one that I always think about is this notion of information overload. So imagine a world where we're learning all the time, where all of the training or education or other kind of informal experiences that we're getting are coming from hundreds of different organizations, you know, thousands of different platforms, maybe. How do we make sure that those experiences are coherent? How do we make sure that we're not just creating all this noise? Because what happens to our brains when we have disconnected pieces of information or that we're just getting constantly bombarded by it? That triggers cognitive biases, right? That forces us to be more superficial. It encourages us to not retain information effectively or to have gaps in our understanding. And so I think it's really important that we get our arms around this notion of learning at scale and learning across a heterogeneous system. We need to make sure that we have semantic coherence across it. I don't think this is an easy problem to solve, but I think it's absolutely critical. A related one is what if we have incomplete or degraded or otherwise untrustworthy information? I mean, certainly you see this in social media, but it would be just as easy to have, well, I assume it's already true, right? It's just as easy to have it in crowdsourced or even corporate made training products or educational products or just in time learning materials. And more and more, this is going to be crowdsourced, right? More and more, this is built from many different sources brought together. How do we ensure trust in the material, not just in the pure information of it, but even in the pedagogical or the andragogical approaches that are integrated with it? And then the last one, of course, is equity. It's absolutely critical. And, you know, this isn't just your classic digital divide where some people have internet or some people have computers and others don't. This is really insidious because it's easy to point and say, well, look, everyone has computers, everyone has access to Wikipedia or whatever, right? We're done. But what if some people have well-formed, well-validated learning experiences with quality learning content, quality andragogy and pedagogy integrated in, and then other people just have information, noisy, maybe separate or not semantically coherent information. We really do run the risk that you get into this almost hidden haves and have nots. And so we need to make sure that we have quality learning experiences, quality learning data available to all the folks within the system. I do think that issue of equity just does feel so important. I mean, education, you know, traditionally has been, you know, the great leveler in many ways. I think the upside of everything that's happening with technology is we enable education and learning to really fulfill that promise. But at the same time, I think if it's done in the wrong way, we could be creating greater divides than we've had before. If you were going to give advice, in fact, you are going to give advice because I'm asking you to right now to our learning business listeners around how to effectively use learning technology, how to focus and invest their resources, what kind of advice would you give? Well, I think I would go back to some of the things I was saying earlier. And I would say as a first step, start with your data. I mean, we've all heard the cliche, right? Data is the new oil. Data is the new gold. Well, it's true, right? So you have all of this data out there, or you could have all of this data out there, but are you capitalizing on it? So just as a first step, 
start to really reap your data and get a kind of water through the pipes flowing with some of these common standards that are being used across industry, academia, and government. And you don't have to use standards that we're working on at ADL, although you can look those up and find information, but you can find standards, for example, from that Chamber of Commerce group, from IEEE organizations, or other standards organizations that are out there. And just getting your data, harnessing it, is step one. Step two, competency-based learning. You know, again, there is so much value in using a competency-based learning approach. You get a meritocracy, it's more motivating for people, you're better able to align the training or the education with the actual jobs or the outcomes you need, and it gets you that common currency across your different data systems. The nice thing about this, just like with the data standards is, you don't have to go out and invent this on your own. So much of this already exists. So like, for example, the Department of Labor has ONET, which stands for Occupational Network, and it has competency frameworks. And for the techies out there, there's actually an API that you can ingest this information. There's a lot of other open source competency standards that are out there. I mean, my own team has produced a competency management tool, again, open source. These are all things that are out there in the world that you can build off of. But again, you don't have to go all the way to to phase 100 with this. Just start going with competency-based learning, even if it's just on paper. That's the second step. And the last step is upskill your learning facilitators. And when I say facilitator, I mean your designers, your developers, your deliverers, the people who work across your learning franchise. Help them learn how to embrace learning data, learning analytics, improved assessment, learning technologies to really get the most out of them, like against that SAMR model that we were talking about. And really making sure that they're embracing those learning tactics and strategies so that we're not just, you know, a sage on the stage or just information delivery, but we're really getting the best that we can get from individual learning and in particular learning at scale and eventually from that lifelong learning ecosystem that I mentioned. Seishatz is the director of the Advanced Distributed Learning Initiative and editor of the ebook Modernizing Learning, Building the Future Learning Ecosystem. More information about the ADL initiative can be found online at adlnet.gov. We encourage you to visit the ADL initiative's website as they make a wealth of resources available to help you as you think about your organization's learning technology needs. We link to specific ADL resources, such as the Modernizing Learning ebook and information about total learning architecture in the show notes for this episode that you'll find at leadinglearning.com slash episode 267, along with a transcript of my conversation with Say. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 267, you'll also see options for subscribing to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss future episodes in this series, we encourage you to subscribe. And subscribing also helps us get some data on the impact of the podcast. And we'd be grateful if you'd take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Salise and I personally appreciate it, and reviews and ratings help us show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple to leave a review and rating. And we encourage you to learn more about the sponsor for this series by visiting benchprep.com slash resources. Lastly, 
please spread the word about Leading Learning. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 267, there are links to find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.